Welcome to the podcast for Salem Baptist Church, where the senior pastor is Reverend Dr. Selwyn Q. Bacchus. Salem is located at 3131 Lake Street in Omaha, Nebraska, 68111. This podcast has been created as a mobile companion to your engagement with Salem. Whether you use it to listen to a service you are unable to attend or to revisit a sermon, we pray that this podcast will serve as a source of motivation and connection to a word-centered and spirit-led church that cares about your journey. Be sure to turn on your alerts as we deliver a variety of content to you. Don't miss out on church services, interactive Bible studies, and special interviews all here on Salem's podcast. Share the podcast with a friend or family member. Listen as you have your morning coffee, daily exercise, or travel to work. No matter when you are listening, we pray this episode blesses you. everybody we got a song for the church choir <laughs> singing about somebody that we call that man jesus come on clap your hands everybody come on <laughs> this one for the church choir come on i search come on all over come on trying to find Someone, but in my search, I was faced with reality. Come on, that no one, come on, could ever match. Come on, cry, no one can do. No one has shown a greater love. Come on, everybody, there is. Come on, no one. We're singing about that blessed Savior. Come on, what's his name, y'all?
two of the most important civil rights organizations have in common. Meet Ella Baker, the brilliant black woman whose ideas and careful grassroots organizing helped give birth to Dr. King's Southern Christian Leadership Conference and to the Student Nonviolent Coordinating Committee. For this reason, Ella Baker is reverentially known as the mother of the Civil Rights Movement. Born in Virginia in 1903, Ella Baker was educated at Shaw University before moving to New York City in 1927. By 1930, she'd started organizing. Ella Baker joined the NAACP in 1940 and helped young leaders find their voice and their leadership capacity. And one of those people was Rosa Parks, someone we all know. Ella Baker was also recruited by Martin Luther King to help run the Southern Christian Leadership Conference, which was helping to build the civil rights movement. Then in 1960, a group of black college students were denied service at Woolworth's segregated lunch counter in Greensboro, North Carolina. In an act of nonviolent protest, the students refused to leave, inspiring similar sit-ins across the South. Ella Baker left SCLC to help a group of young people form the Student Nonviolent Coordinating Committee. I remember Ms. Baker saying, many of you are from some of the quote-unquote best schools in the country, so when you go into rural areas, don't go in there thinking you're going to lead the people. Find out what the people want. When you heard Ella Baker speak, you were ready to get out there. She really wanted us to stand up and speak up and speak out. And she gave you the energy to push. You can lead, you can be somebody, you can do something. More interested in affecting change than public acclaim or financial reward, Baker inspired a generation of young Americans to risk their lives to fight racism, sexism, and white supremacy. Simply put, the mother of the civil rights movement had many children, and we are her heirs.
Joining us in this worship experience on today, 
as we lead you in worship and as you join us in the virtual sanctuary of Salem Church, we are so grateful for your presence and your engagement on today. Uh, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Again, Lord, we are grateful and thankful that we can declare that he will do it for you. Whatever you need, he is able to bring it to pass. And so now, Lord Jesus, we thank you for this opportunity today to worship you in spirit and in truth. And we invoke and invite your presence on today that you would speak to us through this worship experience and through the word of God. Bless us and keep us now, even as we lift up your holy and righteous name for you and you alone are worthy of all of our praise. And we ask these prayers now in the name of our resurrected and living Savior, Jesus the Christ, and the people of God said together, amen and amen. We're going to ask our music and fine arts ministry to come at this time and lead us further in worship.
experience where we are able to go to the Lord in corporate prayer. Continue to remind you that prayer not only changes things, prayer changes the prayer. We want to lift those, lift our country, lift our leadership at the national or the federal, state, county, and city level that give us leadership pray that the Lord would give them wisdom and uh, direction, even in these perilous times. And for those who have specifically requested prayer as a part of uh, the Salem Church, we lift Sister Acra Cooper, Sister Sadie Alley, Sister Pollyanna Chamberlain, Sister Gloria Morrison, Infant Clementine, Nelson Jackson, the granddaughter of Bobby Jackson Moore, Brother James Alley, Brother James Brooks, Brother Walter Goodwin, Deacon Anthony Hadley, Brother, uh, Brother Robert and Sister Suzette Ingram, Reverend Merlin Klaus, Brother James Jimmy Jackson, Brother Brandon Jimerson, Brother Franklin, Brother Frank Stewart Sr., Brother Ed White, those who are bereaved, Brother Sylvester and Sister Judith Rhodes and the loss of his brother, Jerry Rhodes, Deacon Verdell Temple and Sister Bobby Jean Daly and the loss of their mother, Queen Temple, Brother Charles Northcutt Jr. and the loss of his father, Charles Northcutt Sr., Sister Lana Smith and Sybil Jones and the loss of their sister-in-law, April Jones family of Brother Larry Chandler, Sister Joyce Riley and Brother Kenneth Moore, and the loss of their brother Philip Moore, Sister Ernie Boykin, and the loss of her sister Arthelia Thompson. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Again, Lord, we are grateful and thankful for all that you've done and we worship you today in spirit and in truth 
for you and you alone are worthy of all of our praise. We adore you today for who you are, for your consistent character. Lord, you never change. You are the same yesterday, today, and forevermore. And for that, God, we glorify you and we glorify your holy and righteous name. Lord, on today, <clears throat> we come in the shadow of your glory. And when we are in the shadow of your glory, we recognize our limitations. We recognize our sins and our shortcomings. We recognize our faults and our failures. And so God, in the name of Jesus, because we recognize your holiness, and even as we recognize our sinfulness, we come before you bowed at your feet, asking you to forgive us, to cleanse us, and Lord, to strengthen us in the days to come. And God, we are thankful that in spite of our sinfulness, you have blessed us, you have kept us, you've put your arms of protection around us, you've given to us what we didn't deserve, and you've kept from us what we did deserve. And so, God, we want to say thank you. Lord, for the names that have been called, we pray in the name of Jesus that you would meet them at their point of need. Lord, you know every situation. We're not aware of the details, but you know all about it. And so, God, we pray that you would bless them, that you would strengthen them, that you would give them comfort and consolation, even those who are in their time of loss. And for so many whose names have not been called, who are listening and watching at this moment, Lord, we pray that they would lift their needs to you right now they would confess their sins right now. That they would make you aware of their weakness where they need your strength. We pray, God, for those who feel like giving up and giving in, that you would give them the endurance and encouragement they need even on this day. And we ask these prayers now name of our resurrected and living Savior, Jesus the Christ, and the people of God said together, amen, amen, and amen. We are grateful for each and every one of you who have joined us in worship on today. Uh, we are grateful for your continued encouragement, support, your patience, and your understanding. Again, we are yet in the midst of this pandemic and we uh, realize that things are uncertain at this point. Uh, the numbers continue to improve it seems and yet we want to make sure as the new normal ministry and the leadership of the Salem Church 
we do all in planning for reopening to make sure that things are safe and secure. And uh, we do ask you as well for your understanding, for your patience, for your prayers, for things will certainly be different when we return. We also encourage you to remain safe. Just because things are open in our state does not mean that we need to necessarily take advantage of those things. Uh, please be safe, use wisdom, and uh, use some level of reservation. Continue to do those things that kept you safe and from harm from this point uh, up to this point. Continue to wash your hands on a regular basis. Continue to wear your mask, wear your mask, and uh, to social distance as much as possible. This is the year of revival at the Salem Church. Our theme scripture is 2 Chronicles chapter 7, verse 14. And our scripture of the month of February uh, is the love chapter, 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verses 1 through 13. We continue to thank you for your financial stewardship and your faithful stewardship and your financial support those who are members of the Salem Church and our ministry partners who have continued to support us financially, although they are not formally members of the Salem Baptist Church. We thank you. and We continue to commend you to trust the Lord with the tithe, 10%, one-tenth of the resources that the Lord has given you because we realize that every good and perfect gift comes from the Lord. All that we have comes from Him. We are stewards and managers when we trust him with the tithe, the Bible says he will then open the windows of heaven and pour you out blessings you won't have room enough to receive. We remind you of all of the platforms that are available for your giving. You can mail your tithe and offering to the church at 3131 Lake Street, Omaha, Nebraska, 68111. Uh, from 9 to 5, Monday through Friday, you can... Uh, bring your tithe and offering to the church campus and just outside the administrative office. There is a secure tithe and offering box that uh, you can give your tithe and offering. You can give through the church website at SalemBC.org, through PayPal, through Venmo, through Cash App, and uh, through Givelify as well. In the coming weeks, you'll be able to uh, give by text. We want to make sure that you have every opportunity to be faithful through your the giving of your tithe and offering. Again, we thank you in advance for your continued financial support. We're going to ask now that our music and fine arts ministry would come and lead us further in this worship experience.
nothing did me any good. But then I heard Jesus was passing by. So I decided to give him a try. that you would turn now in your Bibles, on your tablets, whatever devices that you might be using, once again to the New Testament, the Gospel as recorded by Luke, Luke chapter 15, beginning at verse 11, Luke chapter 15, beginning at verse 11, we'll read just a few of the beginning scriptures in that section of scripture, although we will use much of that section of scripture. Luke chapter 15, beginning at verse 11, and the word of God reads, then he said, speaking of Jesus, a certain man had two sons. The younger of them said to his father, father, give me the portion of goods that falls to me. So he divided to them his livelihood. 
And not many days after, the younger son gathered all together, journeyed to a far country, and there wasted his possessions with prodigal living. But when he spent all, there arose a severe famine in the land, and he began to be in want. Then he went and joined himself to a citizen of that country, and he sent him into his fields to feed swine. And he would gladly have filled his stomach with pods that the swine ate, and no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have bread enough and to spare, and I perish with hunger. The Lord's word is blessed. We want to talk today for a few minutes by the help of God and the Holy Spirit from this simple subject, the lost son restored. The lost son restored. Jesus continues to teach through parables in Luke chapter 15. This last of three parables is the most well-known of the three. We must be reminded of the context of this trilogy of parables that Jesus is teaching. Jesus is surrounded by a crowd of characters that are at opposite ends of the spiritual and social spectrum. There are the self-righteous, self-important, and critical Pharisees and scribes that are leaders of the religious community and part of the social elite. Because of their practice of the Jewish religion and the Jewish law, they feel no need to heed the teachings of Jesus because they've never strayed away from the religious law. They are, in their minds, above correction, and believe they have a better and stronger relationship with the Lord. Certainly better than the, others, the other crowd that surrounds Jesus. And I know you're asking, what crowd is that other crowd? Well, over the past few weeks, I've tried to identify them as the lost, the least, the left out who long for a relationship with Jesus. These are the dismissed, the disdained, the rejected, and written off. The Bible describes them as tax collectors and sinners. Now, Jesus loves them all, and welcomes them all to hear his teaching and instruction. However, Jesus wanted to make sure that everyone in attendance recognized that he was interested or even more interested in the tax collectors and the sinners who were lost. Jesus wanted all who listened to be confronted with the reality that there is no hierarchy and no pecking order when it comes to the love of Jesus for all people. He wanted all who had gathered to know 
that he had a great passion for the lost and he wanted them to be found and in a saving relationship with the Lord. Now I have to continue to remind us of this continued reality because just as Jesus was concerned with the lost and loved the lost and desired the lost to be found and saved over 2,000 years ago, he still has that same love and passion for the lost on today. And he wants all of us to have that same love and compassion for the lost. He wants us to have that love and compassion in our individual lives and he wants us to have that love collectively as a congregation and community. He wants us to love the people he loves. He wants us to love the unlovables, to love the unacceptables. He wants us to love those who are the undesirables. He wants us to love us, love those that the world has counted out, those that the world has thrown away. And he wants us to love those that the world has disregarded and discarded. Jesus wants us to focus our attention on those that have been ignored and unnoticed and unseen. Jesus wants us to show a love for those who have been disparaged and discounted and denigrated. Let me say it this way. Jesus wants us to look at the lost and have so much compassion that when we look at them, we see ourselves. And the truth is, no one wants to see themselves lost. Or even more, when we look at the lost, Jesus wants, to see, wants us to see them as if they were our children or grandchildren or our family. And the truth is, family of God, if Jesus looked at all of us and viewed us in our lostness on our way to hell and he loved us enough to leave his throne in glory to put on flesh to be tested and tried and mocked by religious rulers to be tortured and beaten and to die on the cross and be raised from the dead. If he loved us enough to do that we should be able to find enough love to reach out and try to save the lost. Because if it's important to our Lord Jesus Christ, it should be important to us. And so Jesus is teaching and using these parables in Luke chapter 15 to show his love for the lost and his desire that they might be found and saved. So, as you will remember, over the last couple of weeks, Jesus first teaches through the parable of the lost sheep, teaching us through the example of the sheep who are not the brightest creatures on the planet, that some are lost through their own foolishness. And then he teaches through the parable of the lost corn. And here in the parable of the lost son, he teaches that some are lost and go astray by their own willingness and willfulness. And in this very familiar teaching of Jesus, 
we observe a few things. The first thing that we observe is uh, we observe a son's rebellion. We observe a son's rebellion. Jesus begins his parable with a broad stroke on an empty canvas that draws us into this teachable moment. Listen again to verse 11. He simply said, Then he said, A certain man had two sons. Now we are not given early in this text a clear context of the family life of this family that Jesus uses in this parable. Yet, if we look at the entire section of Scripture, we're able to fill in some of the missing pieces about this father and his two sons. It's clear when you look at the entire section of Scripture, there will be references to inheritances and robes and rings and fields of land and rings and <coughs> fatted calves and servants and parties. So it's clear that this is a family of some wealth. Also, it's clear to see that this father, though not perfect, is a fair father that wants the best for both of his sons. Even when the sons don't clearly see what is best for themselves. And even as this family is wealthy and led by a fair father, we also see that this family is a normal family. How can you say with assurance that this family was a normal family, Pastor Back, as well? Because if you look at the entire parable, it shows that both of these sons have issues. This family in Luke chapter 15 is just like every normal family. We all got issues. As a matter of fact, all of our families have some dysfunction and some malfunctions and some flaws and some failings. Some more than others, but every family has some issues. And as a side note, we all need to be careful about how self-righteous we get about ourselves and our families. Looking down our nose at other people and pointing our finger at people and acting like there's nothing wrong with you and your family and that you have no issues. I'm just saying we have to be careful how we treat folk who are struggling because the truth is the struggle is real. And whether you want to admit it or not, the struggle is going to show up in your driveway and your doorstep one time or another. And if you act self-righteous when things are going right, People will treat you with condemnation and criticism uh, when the struggle shows up at your doorstep instead of treating you with the same compassion, kindness, and concern that you should have treated them. My point is this. This family was wealthy, had a fair father, and they were norm a normal family with issues. The first issue that arises is the rebellion of this youngest son. 
son is defiant and displays insubordination and dissent. Listen again to the text beginning at verse 11. Then he said, a certain man had two sons. And the young of them said to his father, Father, give me the portion of goods that falls to me. So he divided them to him to them his livelihood and not many days after the younger son gathered all together journeyed to a far country there wasted his possessions with prodigal living now understand at the time of the text you have to understand the cultural context which Jesus is teaching this parable this younger son was by law deserving of the inheritance that he would receive. So the matter of rebellion was not the inheritance itself. Because as the younger of two sons, he was due an inheritance of one-third of his father's possessions. However, the rebellion lies in the attitude and impatience of the younger son. You see, this inheritance was to be rightly given, given to this younger son at the time of his father's death. So even though he was to rightfully receive one-third of his father's possessions, when he asked for his inheritance, he was in essence saying to his father and his family, all of you all are dead to me. Give me what's mine because it's now time for me to move on and live my best life. It's time now for me to do my own thing. This younger son breaks the heart of his father by not only figuratively slapping in the face with a disrespect, he then flies the coop and leaves the crib. And the Bible says he goes to hang out in a far country. And I have to admit today that this father in the parable is much like our heavenly father. He knows what's best for us, but he's given us the freedom to choose what we want. Even when he knows what we want is against his wishes and against his will, and not in our own best interest. How many listening or watching right now know this story because it is your story? Yes, we know what the Lord wants. And then we also know what we want. And our want outweighs the Lord's want. And we go with we want. And I don't know about you, you don't have to fess up right now, uh, but I know for myself that hasn't turned out too well for me. And it didn't turn out well for this rebellious son. Look what happens to this rebellious, liberated, freed, no curfew, no rules having son. Listen again to what it says. Then he said, a certain man had two sons. The younger of them said to his father, Father, 
Give me the portion of goods that falls to me. So he divided to them his livelihood. And not many days after, the younger son gathered all together, journeyed to a far country, and there wasted his possessions in prodigal living. But when he had spent all, there arose a famine, a severe famine in that land, and he began to be in want. Then he went and joined himself to a citizen of that country, and he sent him into his fields to feed swine. And he would gladly have filled his stomach with the pods that the swine ate, and no one gave him anything. The rebellious son goes from being the life of the party to the slave in the pig pen. Verse 13 says he moves out to his own place in another city and he wasted his possessions, the money and the resources his father had given him in prodigal living. Some Bible versions say riotous living. Others say, say wasteful living. And the word here comes from the imagery of winnowing chaff. Those at the time of the text would clearly understand it. Chaff was the hull or exterior of the grain that they would harvest in the time of the text. And to get rid of the chaff, which you couldn't eat, they would wait until the wind was blowing. And they would throw the chaff up in the air, and the wind would blow away the chaff. So Luke was trying to tell us that the rebellious son was just throwing his money up in the air, and it was as if the wind was blowing it away. Sounds like this boy was making it rain before making it rain was making it rain. And this rebellious son, because of his riotous and wasteful living, finds himself in dire circumstances, far from home. He joins him Self. It literally, literally means he glues himself to a Gentile citizen of that far country. And almost out of spite, the citizen sends him to feed swine, to feed pigs. And everyone knew that it was sac sacrilegious and heretical and blasphemous for Jews to touch the flesh of swine. And it was even more undignified, debasing, degrading, and humiliating to have to work in a pig pen. Look at this son. Just a few days before, he was a shining star, the life of the party. Everyone knew him and wanted to be him. And he had likely taken care of so many other people as he and they lived the fast life. And now, he, here he is, living among pigs, wanting to eat off the pig's menu. Now, after he had feasted with everyone else, no one would feed him beyond a pig's plate. And so yes, we see a, a son's rebellion 
But then the text suggests we see a son's return. This rebellious son finds himself in a pig pen going against every belief he'd been taught in direct contradiction to his family and his faith. He was on skid row. He was at the lowest point he had experienced in life. The Bible says something happened. Verse 17 through 19. But when he came to himself, let me repeat that. But when he came to himself, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have bread enough and to spare? And I perish with hunger. I will arise and go to my father and will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am, not, I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. The Bible says he came to himself. When he's at rock bottom, he came to himself. In the family of God, sometimes, it's sad to say, that's what it takes for those of us who are or have been like this rebellious son. It takes hitting rock bottom. It takes us getting to our lowest point. It takes us being alone and the only conversation we have is with ourselves and with the Lord. No one else to talk to. No one else to lean on. No one else to run to. And family of God, we should be grateful today that our rebellion does not eternally require us to stay in the pig pen of life. Oh, what a blessing to know that the Lord allows us to come to ourselves. Thank the Lord that he's kept us and covered us and protected us and sustained us long enough to come to ourselves even when we've chosen the path to the pig pen. And this son says, I've rebelled against my father, but now... I'm going to return home. This son says, the worst day I experienced at home with my father is better than the best day I've spent in a pig pen. This son says, I'm living beneath my God-given dignity and design. He says, I'm not a pig pen resident. He says, my father's servants live better than I'm living right now. The Bible says he comes to himself and he begins his return home. Family of God, there may be someone right now listening or watching and you've strayed away from the Father's house and from the Lord's love and I want to say today that there's no better day than today to come to yourself and to return to your relationship with the Lord. I don't care how long you spent in the pig pens of your life. Today is the day to come to yourself and return to your heavenly Father. 
So we see a son's rebellion. We see a son's return. But here comes the shout. We see a father's reception. We see a father's reception. Look at uh, Luke chapter 15, beginning at verse 20. It says, And he arose and came to his father. But when he was still a great way off, his father saw him and had compassion and ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight, and I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Bring out the best robe and put it on him. And put a ring on his hand and sandals on his feet. And bring the fatted calf here and kill it and let us eat and be merry. For this, my son, was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to be merry. The Bible says that his father saw him which means his father was in a position always looking in anticipation, hoping and believing that his lost son would one day come home. Oh, that's good news. I don't care how lost you may seem and feel right now. I want to tell you we have a heavenly father who's looking in anticipation, hoping that she would run, come back home. Now understand, in the Jewish culture, men wore long robes. And in order to run, a man would have to lift up the hem and hold it high to keep from tripping over it. And in doing so, he would bare his legs and his feet, uh, which was considered highly undignified. Men of great respect never ran, and it would have been embarrassing for this father to run. But can't you see this father? grabbing handfuls of his robe and running toward his son because his son had been lost and now was found. I'm simply trying to tell you that our heavenly father will do whatever necessary. How undignified it may seem to make sure that lost are found. The Bible says he fell on his neck and in the original language, it suggests uh, that the father didn't just kiss him once. He kept on kissing his son. Wanted his son to know how much he missed him and loved him and cared for him. And listen, the son was rancid and rotten and reeking, still smelling like the pig pen. But the father didn't wait till he was cleaned up. He embraced him just as he was. And so I want to say to someone listening or watching, it doesn't matter what state you're in you're right now, no matter what you've been wallowing in, the Lord wants to hug on you and kiss on you right now. And then he tells him to get the best robe, a stately garment that comes down to the feet, the kind that is worn 
by kings. The text literally reads, a robe first. But that doesn't mean the first robe you find, but it means the first in rank and value, the finest you can find in the house. Go get this robe for my son. Then the Bible says he gave him a ring, put a ring on his finger. Now, sons often wore family rings that had the family in seal, uh, family seal engraved upon it, and stamping the ring in wax was like a family signature. But you have to believe that the younger son had probably left with a ring from his father's house, but had likely pawned it off long ago. And so the father putting on a new ring, putting a new ring on his finger symbolized that he had been restored to full family status. Then he says, give him some shoes. Now you'll notice when he returned, he said to his father, I'm not worthy to be a son. I need you to make me a servant or a slave. Uh, but what you have to understand about the time of the text is that servants and slaves didn't wear shoes. Only family members wore shoes. So this father says, no, no, you're not a slave, and you're not a servant. Go get my son some shoes. He, he's not a servant, and he's not a slave. He's been restored to sonship. So I, I need you to go and get him some shoes. I'm almost done, y'all. But uh, what I love about this is that only the father had the authority to return him to sonship. Did you hear what I said? Only the father had authority to return him to sonship. Let, let me say it one more time. Only the father had the authority to return him to sonship. It didn't matter what anybody else said. It didn't matter what anyone else thought. It didn't matter what anyone else was gossiping about. Only the father had the authority to return him to sonship. There are those who I'm certain were watching who said, listen, he's gone off to a far country. He spent his father's good and his own inheritance in riotous, wasteful, and prodigal living. And so even as he returns, he ought to return as a slave or a servant. But it didn't matter what they said. And it didn't matter what they thought. 
Uh, it didn't matter what they considered. Uh, because no one else had the authority to return him to sonship. Uh, it didn't matter what anyone else thought about the situation. Uh-huh, the neighbors uh, and those standing at the fence post. Yes, Lord, they could consider and consult with one another all that they wanted to. Uh-huh, but only the father had the authority to return um, this rebellious son to sonship. Do I have a witness uh, this Sunday morning? Well, 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 well. Uh, and I'm speaking to someone who's listening or watching right now. Yes, Lord, uh, don't get caught up uh, on what others say about you. And uh, don't give up uh, uh, because uh, of what others consider about you. Uh, and uh, don't be discouraged uh, because what others say about you. Because uh, only the Father has the authority to return you to sonship. Do I have a witness today? And when others may begin to gossip about you, and when others may begin to talk about you, and when others uh, may begin uh, to put your name on the wings of the morn, tell them I've been restored by the authority of the Father. Do I have a witness? He is the only one that has the authority and has the power to return you to sonship or daughtership. Do I have a witness? Tell the world, tell the world, I am restored because the Father said so. Do I have a witness? them I am restored because my heavenly father has restored me is there anybody here who will declare today I am I am I am I am restored. I had some pig pen moments in my life. Yes, Lord, I was rebellious in my life. 
I ran from the Father. But one day I came to myself and now I am restored. Do I have a witness? You need, you need, you need to turn to your neighbor and tell them, oh neighbor, I am, I am restored. Yeah, I am. Yeah, I am restored. Do I have a witness? Yes, Lord. The songwriter says, be not dismayed. I said, be not dismayed. Be not dismayed. I said, be not dismayed. Be not dismayed. Whatever be tired, God will in your pig pens. God will, God will take good care of you beneath his wings of love about beneath his wings of love about beneath his wings of love about ah, God will ah, God will ah, God will take good care of you do I have a witness today that even when you were in your pig pen, the Lord took good care of you. Won't he do it? I said, won't he do it? Do I have a witness? Won't he do it? Wherever you're listening, wherever you're watching, you ought to lift your hands and declare, won't he do it? 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 Say yes. Say yes. Yeah, he will. Yeah, he will. Yeah.
I'm trying, I'm trying, I'm trying, I'm trying. I'm trying to leave it alone. But somebody knows what I'm talking about. You in your pig pen. But when you came to yourself, the Lord was waiting with open arms. You ought to tell him thank you. 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 Yeah, thank you. Hallelujah. 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 Doors of the church open. The invitation is extended for you to come to yourself and recognize that there is a heavenly father waiting for you to rejoice over your restoration. The same Jesus who taught this parable is the same Jesus who died on Calvary's cross for your sins and for mine. The Bible tells us and reminds us in Romans chapter 10 you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, that he died for the sins of the world, that God raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. So today would be a wonderful day for you to trust him as Lord and Savior and to give your life to him. Please call us at 402-455-1000, option three. There's someone waiting to hear from you right now. Or if you're saved, but for whatever reason, you're out of fellowship with the local church, need a church home, need a church family, this is your opportunity to be a part of the Lord's church and a part of the body of Christ here at the Salem Baptist Church. Please call us at 402-455-1000, option three. Why don't you come? Thank you. 
We pray and believe that you have made a decision to give your life to the Lord and to become a part of the Lord's church. We have the privilege on today of sharing in one of the two ordinance, ordinances that the Lord left the church. One of it, which is baptism, when those who have confessed Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior are baptized, immersed, symbolic of their death to the old and being resurrected in new life through Jesus Christ. The other is this Lord's Supper, this Holy Communion. It offers us an opportunity to remember and reflect on what God has done for us in Jesus Christ. So even now as we prepare to share these elements that are symbolic of the Lord's shed blood and broken body, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Again, Lord, we are grateful and thankful for all that you have done for all of the many and varied blessings that you bestowed upon us. But the greatest of those is that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us all. In our stead, on our behalf, he shed his pure, perfect, and holy blood so that we as sin sinners might be saved. Because of what you've done through Jesus Christ, we once were lost now we're found. Once we were dead in our sins, but yet now we are alive and have the blessed assurance of eternal life. So even now, we thank you for his death, burial, and his resurrection. We pray now in the name of Jesus that you would forgive us of our sins as we prepare to receive these elements that are symbolic of the Lord's broken body and shed blood. And we ask it in the name of Jesus. Amen and amen. Yeah. 
never, 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 never lose his power. The Bible says on the eve of his crucifixion, Jesus instituted this Lord's Supper, this Holy Communion. He first took the bread, blessed it, said to his disciples, take, eat, this is my body. Let us commune together. And likewise, he took the cup and declared, this is the New Testament in my blood, which is shared for many for the forgiveness of sins. Let us commune together. Let us pray again, Lord. We thank you for this privilege to be able to remember and reflect on what you've done for us through the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. It's because of that we have the assurance of life life abundantly and life eternally. We thank you for the sacrifice made and the price paid. We pray, God, that this worship experience have been, has been a blessing to all who have watched and listened. We pray that you would strengthen them, that you would give them everything they need. And now unto him who's able to keep us from falling, and to present us faultless before his glory with exceeding great joy. To the only wise God be glory, dominion, and power both now and forever. And the people of God all across this city, all across this state, all across the country, and all across the world said together, Amen, Amen, and Amen. And we yet believe the best season of your life is just ahead.